Welcome to the Friends and Rivals podcast. So yeah, I guess I'll just leave with the, the trade. Um, Lou uh, picked up a former Leaf, more of a Dubas guy than a Lou guy, though it sounds like. From I, I don't really know much about him, but uh, we traded future considerations, my my favorite kind of considerations. Let's talk Devils and Islanders. Let's talk Penguins and Rangers. But let's not talk about Flyers, cause they're a bunch of fucks, which no one can deny. Which no one can latest installment of the friends and rivals podcast i'm your one of your hosts tom harkness along with me are even woach twits oh you used your last name this week good job yes. buddy bill fougere how's it how's, how do you say that again <laughs> fergie <laughs> do you use I'm crest or Colgate? Uh, i'm sorry Nate. i stepped on you nick i'm sorry i don't bring That's up all right. your bad jokes at the start of every show i mean we'd we'd be here all day that's so true we be here lots of bad jokes i'm nick larita tommy stepped on me it's all good i i really did but it was worth it to <laughs> it to was. relive a horrible joke from last week linger longer so in a continuation to getting to know our your hosts uh this week we have um our top three games that we've attended live uh anybody want to go first fuck the flyers back on track oh, fuck the flyers my top three games that i've attended live uh, the first one is, uh, and they're in no particular order, the Stadium Series Devils versus Rangers uh, in 2014, just for the atmosphere. Like, it was a shit game for the Devils after the first period. Giving up four goals in the second period was not fun to be, you know, to watch. But just for atmosphere, hands down, that was the best time I've ever had a hockey, had a hockey game. Walking all around Yankee Stadium was just really cool to, to see it the game in that environment. Uh, number two, it was in 1997. It was a playoff game between the Devils and the Canadians. And it was the game in which Martin Brodeur sco- scored an empty net goal. At the first of his career, it was outstanding to see live. The place was just an absolute madhouse. And any anytime I see a, a replay of it, the only thing I could think of is after he scores it, Sean Chambers comes over to congratulate him. And then you quickly see Sean Chambers like skate away. And you never know why unless you were there, there was a huge fight at center ice, just a five on five brawl at center ice. And that was why nobody was really congratulating him after he scored. And then number three is uh, just personally for me was a great time was a devil's Kings game in 2017. I actually worked with the devils to get a photo pass for that game. So I was able to bring my camera, my nice lenses, walk all around and take pictures wherever I wanted to. So it was very unique experience that I can't believe I had the chance to do that. It was just remarkable. I got to shoot warm-ups from down in the corner where the professional photographers shoot. I got to watch the players come in and out from the uh, the little overhang and go back by the locker room door. It was just a really cool experience. Was that something where the, the devils did anything with your any of your pictures? Were you like giving it back to them? I did give the, like that was part of the agreement was that I would share my pictures with them. And then about two months later, I was at home watching a game and they shot up a promo for a future game. And it was one of my pictures they used in the promo. That's cool. That's pretty cool. So then I stopped and, and paused the game and put my picture up on my laptop and took a picture of the laptop and the television screen to show my photo and how they used it. It was really cool. So yeah, actually, funny thing that you mentioned that, Steve, the stadium series. I had that as my third game, which was the Isles and Rangers the night after, if I remember correctly. I think it was the Devils played the first game the day before. Yeah, I think it was two nights after, yeah. It was two nights after? The Devils was game. It yeah, a, it was like three. a Tuesday, Thursday? It was three, three nights. Yeah, it was three. I was just looking up the date. Honestly, I had the same thing to say. Uh, the whole going to the 
the game and like you know just being jammed into a into the subway with like only Isles and Rangers fans um, was interesting to say the least. Was a lot of fun. Just going to the game was like the whole thing. It didn't. We lost two to one. I think one of the highlights was paying like I don't know thirty dollars for like two hot chocolates because it was fucking cold out. Yeah, it was one of the things I remember. And then the people sitting next to us told us that the game before was colder during the day. They were like, they said that the, the game you were at, Steve, was yeah. actually colder. And I'm like, it's nighttime. Right. It, and I, it's horrible. But whatever. It was great. Um, that whole experience was awesome. Couldn't find the hat I wanted to get. I was so pissed. But it was like insane. You just couldn't find, you couldn't get through the mobs of people. Right. Unreal experience. I would definitely do that again if there's a stadium series around us, um, just because it was so much fun. Uh, another thing was was great about it was uh, CeeLo Green was the, inter- the entertainment uh, between, I think, the second and third periods, maybe the first and second. I can't remember. And my God, was it like the worst decision the NHL ever made was like, well, at that time, you know, not ever, but what a terrible decision right. to have CeeLo come out. He is not really a hockey fan. He had like no real, you know, com- a connection to any of the crowd. He's great. I love CeeLo Green, but man, I was looking at him and he was looking at me like, why am I here? And I'm like, <laughs> why are you here? And he's like trying to sing and like great jazz with the crowd. Everyone's booing. Like they were booing. It was like, they definitely. <laughs> I, I don't know if they had it in the actual, you know, I imagine in the, in the telecast, they probably like just showed him in the background and like didn't have the sound going, but my yeah. guy, like he was just like, come on guys. Like, <laughs> I don't know. They paid me already. You know, I don't tell you, you can boo me. I don't give a shit. You know, um, is that like little Richard in mystery Alaska when he sang the national anthem? <laughs> <laughs> it was so stupid. And like his dancers were like, they, they were, they, they were all in coats and then they would take on their coats during the show, during like his song and they like run back and put him back on immediately after. And it was like, it's fucking cold out. Why are you? Why even fight it? Why like Celo's wearing a giant, you know, fur coat, like because he's Celo and that's what he, you know, he'd wear that normally. So I'm like, why don't they just make the girls not have to be like, you know, it didn't make any sense. The whole thing was ridiculous. Second game I have actually was a Hurricanes Isles game, which last year I went to, um, and I had bought tickets way in advance, so I had no idea about what the significance of the game would be later. But turned out it was Justin Williams' first game back after his hiatus. And so when I got there, I was like, holy shit, like his first game back is tonight. That's amazing. And it turned a Sunday night game into just like uh, an awesome game. Now, the game was really a good game, but the significance of it was really like the crowd atmosphere was every time he touched the puck, the place went just ave shit. It was awesome. And we lost in, over, in a shootout in eighth round to Mr. Justin Williams. And the place just uh. went nuts and i mean i was i don't care i'm i wear my alice jersey and i'm like high five people it you was caught awesome. up in it yeah it didn't matter like that's the kind of like moments in hockey like where you you watch a game live and you're just like this is just awesome so top game by far is my is the first time the leafs and and islanders played immediately after the 2001-2002 playoff run where they had an extremely tight seven game series very physical multiple top isles players you know got knocked out of the series michael packer being the, the main guy who went out with a knee injury from darcy tucker taking him on a low shot you know i feel he's low I even watched it a few times before this, again, just to remind myself. The hit was not really a one of those hits that was, like, you know, super late in, for those times, but definitely low-bridged him, took out his knee. And to be honest, there was a huge anticipation of the next time we'd play them. The game happened to be, like, a day after my birthday. I got tickets to go for my birthday. That was all I wanted to do. Got to the game, and the place was sold out, just absolutely out of control, electric, 
you know, I, they're probably, if, if I remember correctly, it's hard to remember now about it, but I think there was probably a couple fights in the crowd or whatever. Just everyone was just so pumped. And the uh, basically every time Darcy Tucker came on the ice or got touched the puck, boot immediately, got hit a bunch of times, you know, it was fights. And I was one four to two and just, it was like the, the quintessential game to go to for you know, for me as growing up in that time frame. The, the team had been so bad for so long and then not really quite getting over the first round of the previous season to have that kind of like just you know minor win was such a major thing for for an Alice fan that was just waiting for so long <laughs> and then the short last little story about that game was funny was Tara my wife my girlfriend at the time drove me to the game because I didn't have a car at the time this is college days and so we get out to Long Island see my family they all meet Tara for the first time we go to the game after the game we leave we're like leaving and like we're having this confusion like like she's like not sure where to turn it's like before like gps so we're like i think we're gonna go left here like we're in the wrong like wrong lane so we have to get over and so we're in the left lane it's like and there's a car next to us and i'm like i'm like just put your blinker on and he'll let you this person will probably let you over right like that kind of thing so i'm like she puts her blinker on and I look over and it's michael pekka <laughs> going like go ahead go ahead and i'm like <gasps> <laughs> like wave it i like froze up like oh my god and then tara makes instead of going and listening to this this thing and like to go in front of him she just makes the left and i'm like tara you just cut off michael pekka she's like i don't know what's going on she's like freaking out and it's always been like a running joke we just have that like every once in a while but uh it was always like one of those funny things random encounter with a player but it was a fun time great night that was great well bill season tickets to the rangers i'm assuming there'll be a couple of ranger stories in here or perhaps not uh, but I would yeah. love to hear your top three. The top three. Yeah, I, I've been to a lot of hockey and they had to remind uh, all of our listeners that I was a Rangers fan at one time, went to quite a few Rangers games. You know, I was thinking about this list. I'm like, how do I narrow this down? I, I was at Brian Leach's first game after the 88 Olympics. I was at Mike Richter's first game in the 89 playoffs against the Penguins. I was at uh, Wayne Gretzky's last game, you know, all these Ranger games, but none of them made my list. So my first one on my list, I'm just going to go chronologically. Uh, the day before uh, Halloween, October uh, 30th, uh, 1988, the New York Rangers were hosting the Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, after the first, in, in the first two periods, there were uh, 10 minor penalties in the first two periods. Um, ridiculous. Just one after the other into the penalty box, just power play after power play. The Rangers took a, a big lead early. And then in the third period, uh, after 20 minutes of penalties in the first two periods, in the third period, uh, an additional 272 <laughs> penalty minutes. Needless to say, like, this was just one of those classic, you know, 80s just brawl games that, I mean, it, it was off the charts, and uh, and the Rangers won that game 9-2, to two, so uh, the home fans were very happy uh, with that one. Tony Granato had four goals, uh, was, uh, I was 13 years old at the time, he instantly became my, my favorite player of, of my youth, you know, I had a by 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 Christmas, I had a, a Tony Granato jersey from uh, Cosby's. Uh, man, that it was just it was just an unbelievable game. You know, knuckles and island. You know, just starting shit with pretty much the whole Penguins uh, bench. And, um, so one of those just really raucous games. So uh, after that, my next one, my next one, the next two are, are for a different reason, right? So my next best game was uh, we'll fast forward to 2015, March 7th. I was in uh, uh, Tampa and uh, I took my son Casey to see his uh, his first well the first hockey game that he could really remember. He had been to a to an Islanders game when he was really little. 
but he didn't really recall it. Uh, and uh, so he was never really that into the sport. Um, you know, uh, uh, I, I was into it and, and I played it for a little bit when he was young, uh, but it never really caught on for him. But as soon as we got him to a Tampa Bay lightning game um, and he got in there and, and kind of felt the energy of, a, of an NHL game, uh, it really hooked him. And so that that's why it meant a lot to me. Like, just cause after, after that, you know, it was like, like, like kids will do, they'll, He'll get you know obsessive over different things, and and after that game, he just he wanted to he wanted to learn to skate. He wanted to go to learn to play hockey, and and within a couple of years, he was on travel teams, and it's been part of our kind of family culture ever since. It, it is a lot of hockey, right? And he was a Lightning fan from that day, and and he just uh, got to celebrate a Stanley Cup with them, uh, you know, a few months ago, and and that and and it all it all started then. Um. Then my number three game was uh, was one for for me was uh, October fifteenth, twenty sixteen, and that was the first game that I got to go see the Pittsburgh Penguins in Pittsburgh as I as I was a Penguins fan for several years at that point. Uh, and that was after um, it was after the their their first uh, well the the Stanley Cup win in, in 2015-16, and it was their second game of the season. Um, they had a bunch of like in the pregame they had a bunch of like. Uh, uh, guys from from like the 60s and 70s penguins like they were going through like all their all-time grades because it was their 50th anniversary season and uh, uh, they beat the Anaheim Ducks 3-2. Sidney Crosby didn't play that game but uh, it was still uh, just great to be around you know in that environment. Um, they've had they've been selling out that arena for so long now uh, and it was just really cool to, to see a really packed house really excited uh, fan base so. That's that's my three. Nice. If fans are allowed back in the stadium into stadium soon, would you consider going back out there to, to see him play in Pittsburgh at least once during his career? Oh yeah, I, I, if uh, fans were allowed, I, that, that's something that I've tried to to make a regular thing since then is to get out there for a game each season. And it it didn't happen last season. It didn't happen. I don't think it happened the last two seasons. Actually, things have come up. Casey's had hockey tournaments and stuff over yeah. over vacation breaks where we might have otherwise gone. But um, yeah, I would I would definitely go back there when I have if I have a chance. Nice. I th- I thought there would have been at least one or two more Ranger games. And not one of you guys our trip to Boston, our trip to Montreal. Not my, one of those. Not one of those memorable trips, huh? You guys, nothing. All right. There's so many. It's not yeah, there, great. There, so there many are there are so a lot. I, I agree with you, Billy. Some of which I went to with you, Mr. Harkins. Oddly enough, uh, that is a wonderful segue into the first of my three was actually a game I attended uh, with with Billy. Uh, it was December 1st, 1998. Rangers beat the Florida Panthers in overtime 5-4. to four. Why am I bringing up a regular season game uh, from 1998? Um it was, there was a lot of things. There was a lot of emotions going on, but I remember afterwards, I remember the train ride home with you. Uh, I remember the celebrations that we had when you were a Ranger fan uh, about this game. And it just, it always conjured up really, really good memories. I, I remember recording this game on Rangers Rewind and watching it um, over and over again. And uh, the Rangers were down 4-3 uh, toward the end of the third period. Uh, Tikkanen takes a penalty with a little over a minute to go. Um, and they're, they're out there. Uh, they pulled the go- They pulled Richter out of the goal. So they're skating without a goaltender. 
on a five on five situation or five on five situation with the uh, Panthers having a, pang- uh, a power play. Robert Svela, I think, took a penalty with 30 seconds left to go to even it up. And then Richter went back in the net. Uh, or no, Richter didn't go back in the net. There was an offensive zone draw. Puck went back around the boards. Gretzky was out by the blue line, got the puck toward the net, ricocheted off someone, hit, and it went right on Leach's stick on the lower left hand circle and just buried it to, to tie the game. And then Rangers won in overtime. There was tons of fans when Tikkanen took that penalty that left the building. And Billy and I just looked at each other and just, well, where do we got to go? What are we gonna do? And uh, we we hung in there. And the people who went on the who got who left the building with a, almost two minutes to play was half the building, and uh, they missed they missed a one hell of a finish. And uh, it was just just an emotional regular season game for me watching it with uh, with Billy. Um, second one was uh, a little history was November fourth, two thousand three. The Rangers beat the Stars three nothing in that game. I got to witness Mark Messier pass Gordy Howe on the all time points list for eighteen fifty one. That was a really cool game. Got to experience that with my brother, Chris. Um, and that was just a really, really great experience. Every one of these games, Billy, by the way, were in your seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last you one. You know what number one is. You better have number one locked in. I, 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 it, it, one. I tell the story all the time. April 23rd, 1997, I took my, uh, my cousin, Matt. My cousin, Matt Smith. It was his first NHL game. And it was a playoff game between the Rangers and the Panthers. And uh, Gretzky had a pure hat trick in the second period and he scored this third goal. The place went electric. And I turned to Matt and I said, listen, it'll never be like this again. It'll never be like <laughs> this, this happens again. happens all the time. This is, this is not a regular occurrence. Uh, no. it, and that was another game that was just etched in my brain. I'll, I'll take it to my grave with me. That, that one, that was, uh, I was so happy you went to France that day or you went, you, what, where'd you go? Just, no, that was, that was the, that was the cup finals. You missed the, you missed the Rangers winning the cup in 94 cause you went to France. And yeah. what was the reason? How did I get these tickets from you? I don't remember. I had, I had class. I had class that day in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It's a good Beaver thing. Tom College. has no class. It, it is a wonderful <laughs> thing that I have no class. But I, I, and and again, we saw a lot of great games. We saw uh, World Cup games. Uh, We've seen games in Montreal. We've seen games in Boston, like I mentioned before. Um, Always good times when we we got to go to games. So that was uh, getting getting to know your host segment a little bit more. So slowly but surely, we're peeling the onion on everybody, trying to let you know who we are and how we became fans and what are our favorite memories. And those were those were certainly good ones. It seems that everybody was very passionate uh, about every one of those things, and they they always conjure up really really good memories. Meeting Michael Peck on the Long Island Freeway, interesting. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll have to do a segment about running into hockey players away from the rink. Oh, I got one of those. Oh boy, <laughs> Rye, New York. Um. So uh, we can review time. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the Rangers. Why not? Uh, since I'm already talking, I'm going to shut up anyway. Rosters for the World Juniors got official. Uh, two Rangers on Team Canada, Braden Schneider and Dylan Garand. I always want to say Garland when I see his last name for some reason, but it is Garand, his goaltender. Don't know how much he's going to play, but he uh, certainly had a good camp. And Canada does have three goalies on the roster, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, Brett Berard and Hunter Skinner for Team USA. Team USA. Uh, Hunter Skinner, defenseman. Uh, Brett Berard, a forward. One thing that was um, odd to me was that Carl Hendrickson, we talked about him last week, about him getting booted off the uh, Sweden's World Junior team. He was back with his team in Sweden today playing. So why couldn't he have made the trip 
quarantined, all that stuff, and still played with Team Sweden if he's playing with his team back in Sweden now. I don't really understand that. I don't get how that works. Maybe there's some World Juniors rule that I'm missing, but I don't know. Players are slowly but surely returning back to New York. Uh, Larry Brooks reported uh, today uh, on Tuesday, the 15th of December, that there was they opened the training center on Monday and there was at least 15 players skating and um, Shesterkin returned to New York today. So he can start his quarantining uh, to rejoin the, the players very soon. So everybody's coming back. Um, good things uh, to come. But other than that, still waiting, still waiting for training camp, still waiting for, for all these things to happen uh, before we can actually do a really good solid weekend review for, for our teams. But those were some of the things in New York land that happened this week. Um, Steve, we got Just to touch on that. The uh, IIHF policy was that players had to have three negative tests before entering the bubble. So maybe, and that was as of December 6th. So maybe okay. they, they just didn't, they wouldn't have had time to get those tests done. I, I mean, I, I guess, but it, I, it's just weird that it's okay for him to go back to his team in Sweden, but it's not okay to go to a bubble where he'll be protected. He has more of a chance of, I guess, getting it. I can't, I don't know if he can get it again, but I don't know. It just it just sounded really weird to me that they have 10 days of, before the tournament. But and, it was as of December 6th that that's when, that's when it starts. So as of December 6th, you had to have those three negative tests before that. Then you spend your time with the, the team and then you go into this five day pre camp, uh, pre tournament quarantine in the, in the hotel. And then the tournament starts on Christmas. Yeah, I got you. Seems a little odd that he's returning back to his team, but I guess as of as of the the rules that were set forth for is he playing protection. with the team or just re- when you say return back to the team, it, do you just mean he, he went re- back to it, Sweden? All the report was is he re- he returned to his team today with a picture of him on the ice. Oh yeah, big week for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, um, Sidney Crosby uh, sent out a social media message, some shit about uh, yeah, the world sucks because we're not on the ice yet, and and you know, it's so sad and, and stuff and hang in there and be healthy but it the, was such the, a heartwarming speech what are you talking about but the important part he he's grown a pretty good beard like it, it's all of the playoff beards he's had when he's i mean they, they're just shitty patchy horrible like how old is this kid kind of thing and it's just it's it's a solid beard and, and I, I think that's big news I, I think when he really put his mind to it he, he was able to to grow it in and, and make it look you know presentable so that's the week for the Penguins. It's a pretty solid week there, Bill. Mm-hmm. Crosby growing facial hair. And I do agree with you. It, it's always been that very thin mustache and like big sideburns that don't meet up with your goatee. Like the, like the 14-year-old who refuses to shave because it's starting to come in. <laughs> exactly. It's like my nephew, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sweet Because he's probably going to have to retire soon if, since he's growing beards now. I thought I thought the big news was going to be he gave the speech and somehow managed not to get injured while giving the speech. What are you talking about? The microphone hit him in the head and he got a concussion. <laughs> oh man, it was like 2017 jokes, man. <laughs> wow, yeah, he'll never die. Reaching, Nick, what happened? Really in, far back for that one. Nick, you actually your team had news this week. I know. You guys made it, you guys yeah. made a trade. So yeah, I guess I'll just leave with the, the trade. Um, Lou uh, picked up a former Leaf. More of a Dubas guy than a Lou guy, though, it sounds like. from I, I don't really know much about him, but uh, we traded future considerations, my, my favorite kind of considerations, for Dimitro Timoshev, who looks to be a bomb six kind of guy uh, forward. 
He is a left wing, 0.510, 192 pounds, as per his numbers on our site. He had about nine points last year, played 44 games. Um, average looked around like nine, 10 minutes per game, like about around that time frame. He was playing for Detroit. Who knows? Uh, I'm not really sure why he went for this guy. Maybe it's just maybe they're looking for someone to maybe replace another guy that they're going to bury or maybe trade off. Who knows? This guy is also I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you yeah. if, if this was a move before something's going to, it's going to happen next week or something. Who knows? Um, I did not see this one coming, especially, if, you know, for basically nothing against this guy. Um, so this is a typical Isles move. Honestly, this is like a, a special, like a, a snow special, which would be like, all right, what's going to happen this off season? Look at all these like top tier guys. And then you'd be like, be bottom feeding, you know, for, all right, this guy, he's uh 23, 24 on his third team and or second team. And, uh, you know, had 10 points last year. And all of a sudden we get him for like nothing. And he, he has like 30 points next year. Looks pretty decent. Um, so I don't really know much about him to be honest. Uh, and I, and because the season got so close, I didn't really look, really look up for any highlights of him. He didn't really seem to, he probably has a little bit of a, a tape out there on YouTube, I'm sure, but I'm not really sure he's going to play. I mean, he's like, he still has to sign his deal. He's an RFA. He won't come for much. I mean, he's, he, he, he I think he was making like under a mil last year. So not really sure what the, the move is here. I'm going to wait and see what Lou's thinking. So that was uh, the big news of the week, a trade, hooray, something. Oliver Wallstrom's come back to the U.S. Uh, earlier, I think it was yesterday, he was announced he was returning. And Matt, all the players are coming back now. So uh, just good to see our guys coming back. I did read this really good article on the, on the Athletic um, around Mark Parrish, who's a former Islander. Um, and his battles with alcoholism. So honestly, that's a it's just a good article, well written and really interesting story. So um, if you're interested, read it. I'm not going to plug the athletic really too much here, but you know, hey, it's good, fun to watch, fun to read. I think there was something else, but I can't really remember now. So that's enough. I think that's good enough. Not really yeah. much else going how many, on. How many times did Ken Danico get mentioned in that article? <laughs> None, surprisingly. Um, I think they would have hung yeah, out he, together. He co-hosts with um, he yeah, probably. <laughs> He goes uh, or with uh, Brian Lawton on uh, one of the shows. I forget which show, uh, but he's on a few different. He's on a podcast, and so it's an interesting. It's all ex NHLers, obviously, and you know it's a really interesting article. Um, kind of goes into like the whole like holy shit, these guys are like you know probably self medicating even now. I'm sure plenty. Of, I'm sure there's players doing this this today, but you know it's interesting reading it that during his NHL career he had dependencies on alcohol and painkillers and and that's just like he was able to function enough that to hold a job which always amazes me that people can do that kind of stuff happy you know drinking excessively and be able to just function whereas i call beers and i'm like pretty much like yeah i can talk but you know another beer and i'm probably gonna pass out on you so anyway that's the aisles for the week hopefully next week a little more information we'll see Hopefully, hopefully there'll be some information this week about the season. That's for sure. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's just kind of like, hey, trade for a guy that doesn't play I mean, a lot. Much like, much like Sweet. everybody else, my uh, my week in review just centers around World Juniors. We got six players for the Devils organization that's going to be playing in the World Juniors: Dawson Mercer on Team Canada, Patrick Moynihan Team USA, Arseny Gritsik, Russia, Tom's favorite Dever Shakir Mukamadulin for Russia. You mean the center for the 76ers? Well, he's actually going to play defense for Russia for right now. Ah, all right, all right. So he's on loan. Okay. Yeah. And then we've got uh, 
Jamir Pitlick, Czech Republic, and Alexander Holtz for Team Sweden. Alexander Holtz uh, of the number one draft pick, Alexander Holtz, who I am very excited to watch. I think Nick has a little more to add. I did. I forgot about That's what I was forgetting. Um, Simon Holmstrom is playing for Team Sweden in WJCs, as is Matthias uh, Rajanemi for Team Finland. So uh, that was all I wanted. I, I just I knew there was something I forgot. I'm like, there's something I'm missing. So, so you got two two guys, two guys playing. Devils, yeah, Devils are what number? Devils are number three on that list with with uh, the amount of P players that they have playing in the World Juniors. I, I know the Kings have seven. Yeah. Uh, I thought I did read something like that. I, it definitely seems like a lot. I, you know, in terms of impact players, it's really just Holtz. Mercer is going to be like a third or fourth liner. Moynihan's going to be a fourth liner. Um, Moynihan, they, I think, made the team because his college coach is coaching the team. Ah. So he kind of got that that inside track and being scouted by the coach a little bit more frequently than players from other teams. That's why Eichel is so tied to the Rangers in any type of trade news because of David Quinn. I mean, that's – I mean, I, I get that a lot. Um, so, like I said, Holtz is somebody who I'm really excited to watch play. He's actually really looking forward to coming over and playing on an NHL size rink. He loves playing on smaller rinks versus the the ice size over in Europe because he feels like he could just shoot from anywhere in the offensive zone and it's a legitimate scoring chance, which is music to my ears as a Devils fan because that team doesn't shoot enough ever. So to have a player who just wants to shoot all the time is is really got me looking forward to the future even more. Boy, that's a player you put right on the uh, side of Jack Hughes, huh? Yeah. Immediately. Just yeah. let him get. Just let them establish chemistry day one. Just let Hughes skate in and out of everybody, and then just all of a sudden, up. Oh, That's there's it. There's Holtz. Boom. I, I I couldn't agree with you more. So not a lot going on with our teams, um, as evident by our our very long week in review segment. Um, but there are some things about the return to play that we know. We know that the seven teams that didn't make the playoffs will begin their training camp uh, on December twenty eighth. The rest of the league will report on January 3rd. Target date is still uh, January 1st as of right now. 56-game season. Uh, what did I say? 16th? I'm sorry. Uh, the 13th. You're right. 56-game season. Roster size of, of being around 26 players with four additional taxi squad players. That is the point right now that I hear from all the experts that is kind of holding things up. What, what are the trans, uh, the transactions going to look like? Uh, what are salary uh, cap implications? How does this affect our RFAs? How does this affect a lot of other things that they still have to square away? Uh, obviously, we're doing some temporary realignment. And welcome back to the Metro Pittsburgh Penguins. Boy, you were gone for a week. We hardly missed you. Yeah. I In fact, like we didn't to. miss you. But I, 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 think I, didn't miss, I didn't miss the rest of the Metro. I, honestly, <laughs> I, I would have liked to have stayed out there. Yeah. I mean, hands down, this division is going to be the hardest division the, in the league, right? Without question. Yeah, without always. question. Especially adding teams, adding Boston into, right. your, into, your, uh, into your division. Not so much Buffalo, but who knows what Buffalo is going to be? You never know. Shortened season with Eichel and Hall playing on the same line. Who knows? Who knows? What, what sh- so I heard another, another report uh, about ads on helmets, and I'm, I'm assuming this has to deal with some sort of supplemental uh, income that the NHL could make, and it's something that we've been hearing a while for, and are you happy it happen- it's happening on helmets, or would you prefer them on jerseys? 
Um, I mean, eventually it's going to get to the Jersey, but I'm happy that it's it, just starting with the helmets and not being players are, are going and skating around like billboards. Take it for what it's worth. Gary Bettman has said there will never be advertisements on jerseys as long as he's commissioner. He does not want advertisements on jerseys. Well, the key thing you just said, as long as he right. is commissioner. I know a lot of owners who are a little upset with him right now. Now, obviously, the helmet makes more sense than the shorts, but I feel like you can get away with it on the shorts a little bit better. Like it would be less obtrusive on the shorts. If you did the team logo on like one leg and then in advertisement on the other leg, I think it would look better visually. Yeah, but, but you could barely you're always see... going to see somebody's helmet. But you could see you could barely see that logo on their pants. So you'd have to enlarge well, have to, another logo. Do it in a way that you could see it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I hear you. I'd buy anything and, that they put right on the ass crack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not a lot of players tuck in their jerseys anymore into their shorts. Yager doesn't play anymore. Um, so it'd be kind of hard, I think, to put on the pants, but where the opposite opposite leg of where the logo is yeah. would, would probably be pretty good. Just as long as it's not like the European billboard style where it looks like the sticker is almost sticking up off of the front of the helmet. Right. Right. It's a bit awkward looking, but I mean, the helmets are pretty much, you're not putting logos on them really anyway. So they could pretty much use as a blank canvas for some they, way to put a logo on there. They all have the team names on the side towards the top. But, if, if that, if you take that off and put the ads there, it could look, yeah. you know, not as it, w- it wouldn't look as bad. I, I don't, I don't really care about the helmets to be honest. I, I'm, I always did not want to see on the jerseys. I think they're very hesitant because once they do that, they're, you know, the first they'd be the first league to do so. And it's kind of like the first league no, to do it. No, no, know. no. Didn't the, the NBA doing it this year? Oh, wait, yeah. They did it last year. Did I miss that? Opposite the the, the NBA patch on the other side, there is a all but three teams have an advertisement. Right. The Knicks had like square or something like square that. Space. On square, square space. Square yeah, space. Yeah, you're right. You know what? Uh, the Lakers that. had wish.com. There's a there's a whole yeah. GE for the Celtics. They're really tiny. Again, it's small. Yeah, it's very it. small. They're up top in the top left of the, the yeah. jerseys. It's really so and again not on bad. a lot of teams, it just blends, you know, it almost blends right in. Yeah, it's not like the soccer, you know, jersey where it's basically like your the crest, Emirates yeah. or you know, <laughs> right. Kodak, you know, Nissan. Yeah, but as, like, but as soon as they here. start doing that, Kodak? they take Kodak. My what God, about really? Dotson? Maybe Dotson will have. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> well, that that takes into the integrity of the game, right? Well, I think putting putting right. ads on jerseys. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, like, would you would you yeah. want the the like the, the latest like Manchester United jersey, which has Chevrolet written across it? No, but that but that's the they don't care about that at all over there. Yeah, I know. That's just part of the course. It looks ridiculous. I don't know. I saw Euro Trip. They they care a lot. Nah. <laughs> well, Europeans hockey jerseys have all the all of those ads on them all over the place. Like in yeah, well, especially in like the uh, Scandinavian leagues and stuff. And I mean, they look like rally cars running around up there. Yeah. And in the ice, they have them all over the ice too. Yeah, it, it, doesn't seem to hurt, it doesn't seem to hurt NASCAR that those guys wear logos all over their shirts. It doesn't hurt the quality no. of the game. It's just, it's just preference, you know. If you want to see, if it gets, if it, if it prevents a lockout or a strike, or uh, you know, it puts a little bit more money in the billionaires and millionaires' pockets, go for it. 
yeah. But how many yeah. guys do you see walking wearing like wearing a NASCAR jersey or shirt? The, the jacket. Oh, anything other I than think- a hat. Come on, you don't see them down there. The guys no, I, wearing the jackets. I, I I honestly have been thinking. I haven't. I honestly, unless really? you uh, unless you go to Daytona for the weekend when they have the 500. I mean, I'm sure you'll see plenty of it there. Uh, but unless there's like an event, it's very few and far between that you see somebody walking around with a NASCAR jacket on or something like that. Really? Yeah. You see them, but they're they are far and few between. I see a lot more bumper stickers, or I'll oh, see. Yeah, like, of course. You know, but like nobody cares about the that stuff i mean like i said the hats are more common than anything else that i've seen down here or anywhere to be honest um, i've seen plenty have, of nascar hats do, yeah no, no no doubt do the hats have the corporate sponsors for the drivers on the hat or is it just like the that's, driver's number that's a good question i don't even pay attention to the, the nascar hats that off that really that, that why well. the fuck did you bring it up <laughs> because <laughs> i don't know why did you bring it up Dick. I think there's some corporate sponsors on those. I know, like in Formula One, there is because Casey's got a ton of those Formula One things, and yeah, they'll put. They'll they put have the. I, I I was um a little upset that I couldn't go to that open wheel event over in St. Pete that they have every year. I want to next year when they allow people back there. I want to. I definitely want to to watch that because that seems pretty awesome. That open wheel event they have. The Indy race. Yeah, they have it in in downtown St. Petersburg. Uh, they close off the streets and they run. There's a little airport at the end of, uh, at the end of the uh, Island air by the water. Um, they, and it's just, they, it's really freaking cool, man. Really. They really incorporate cool. the airport. It's almost like speed. No, there, nobody's driving a bus, Steve. Steve to, to confirm your, 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 uh, your guess. Yes. They do have uh, advertisements on those hats. Okay. But there are, there are definitely ones that are just like the NASCAR ones. They're, that just, they're just the they're, number. It looks like the drivers ones are definitely like you know the monster M and M's Napa okay. you know all the all that shit. So yeah, speed. We really reference speed, huh? You said airport Ooh. car driving on a runway. It just took me to speed. I'm sorry. That's gonna get cut out. It doesn't matter. I think that's the cut out. I think out that's, the, I think that's the, the intro. intro. What are you talking no, about? No, no. That no. very well may be the intro this week, boys. No. Uh, watch my step the rest of the way and don't say something stupid that might be the intro <laughs> no i think nick's got it already <laughs> i'm not gonna say anything until you guys hear it tomorrow i've been watching Sorry. a lot of letter letter kenny lately and i have boys and and buddy and all these catchphrases that they say when they're, when they're talking about to their friends and stuff like that in my brain so if buddy or <laughs> pitter patter um so one of the things that i was thinking about with the shortened season um, and with all these implications to roster sizes and, and no training camps and who knows what practice time that's going to come up. Um, is this kind of a throwaway season for the organizations? I mean, not for player development. Don't look at it that way. Look at it from GMs, coaches. If their team tanks this year and then nobody has a good season, uh, are they in the hot seat or are they all have like a get out of jail free card this year? Uh, with GMs and coaches really want everybody's opinion on this um, and, and thoughts, Billy, what, what are your thoughts on that? If they, if their season tanks, they are all in the hot seat as they always, this is the least tolerant league. I, I think maybe in all of sports where, I mean, I think, I think, you know, Mike Sullivan could be on the hot seat after he was a back-to-back cup coach, you know, as recent as 2017. I think if he, I think if the Penguins are, are flat, I think he could be on the hot seat. Any, he, this, there's no longevity in coaching in this league, uh, in GMing in this league. 
it all counts. And and yeah, I, I believe uh, I believe if they if, if they fuck up if they come out flat that you can see head roll, heads roll this season as easily as any other. Even with no training camp, I don't know. And even who knows with an opt out, if players are going to start to opt out uh, of the league this year. Um, I don't know. I, I would find it hard to believe that a GM or a coach coming into this season and if their team just goes off to a slow start and never really picks up during the year that they would be on the hot seat to get fired. I, I can't see that. Uh, I, I can't see that this year. I, I think, I think there's going to be coaches and you even said Mike Sullivan, what if the penguins, you know, don't make the playoffs this year, does he get fired? I mean, I, I don't, I don't think he does. I, I really don't. I, I hope not. I don't think he deserves to, but I, 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 I don't either. I mean, how badly did they miss the playoffs? This might be one of the questions, but um, yeah, I just, I don't think the pressure is ever off in this league. I just think that we just see that the coaching carousel in this league is, is pretty impressive. Uh, and, and uh, you're, you're great one day. And, and, and it really is one of those, what have you done for me lately kind of uh, leagues and kind of places um, it, it's short lived and, and it might be, and it might be, it might really be part of the sport itself where um, players really j- only react for so long to, to one coach's brand of, of, uh, of coaching. You know, uh, I, you see John Tortorella float around the league and, and I, I, he comes to mind only because I think his act gets old pretty quick. Like he'll come to a city, he'll have a little bit of a success early on, straighten him out and, and then, you know, fade away before too long. Actually, he's been in Columbus. He's been in Columbus for, probably, I was about to say a really long time. And, and even before that, when, along the way. When, when he was in New York, his, you're right. His act got short, but that was, you know, they needed a transition from Tom Rennie, who's more of that players type of coach to more of a Barker. Um, and then when they got to the point where they needed somebody who need to run star power, not that they had a lot of star power, um, in the mid two thousand, in the mid uh, twenty teens, but Vigneault was the perfect coach for them to come in and and direct them. And now in the rebuild, I think David Quinn is the perfect guy to kind of rebuild that kind of Barker and demand and make you accountable for what you do. So I think it's about where your team is um, in their development and and where their players are, where their star power is. And I um, think that's that's more important. It's if you as an organization have your eyes on another coach that's a different style and you want to snatch him up before somebody else does, then yes, you're more likely to make a change during a shortened season than just giving everybody a pass. Yeah. If you want to grab that next hot college coach before somebody else does, then yes, you're going to make a You're going to make a move. But are you, are you a playoff team that's looking for a coach like that? Or your team on a rebuild looking for uh, the next college coach? It depends. Again, like Billy said, it depends on who your coach is right now. If you're going to transition from an authoritative coach to more of a development coach or from a, a vet, are you a veteran team? You're going to then probably try and go for one of those recycle coaches versus trying to grab somebody out of the college ranks where maybe you'll make a, you're less inclined to make a move because those recycle coaches always seem to be around. Yeah, it didn't work in Toronto. Did it with Mike Babcock taking over Toronto, and he got he got canned pretty quick up there. So uh, again, they, they, he wasn't the right coach for them, and that's why I don't he's who's the right coach for them. What's that? I don't know who's the right coach for the Maple Leafs. To be honest, I <laughs> no, mean, I think they're a mess from the top. But Barry Trotz is very interesting. He's the right guy at the right time for the Islanders, in my opinion. Um, Nick, what are your what are your thoughts on old Trotz? 
Trotz, I think he's a great coach. I, I think he's, you know, Steve said something interesting. Certain coaches have certain play styles that just they wear out. They're welcome in some in some towns. And um, I was actually going to ask the question: How there in in since 2015, how many coaches do you guys think are still um, before 2015 were hired? Before, their start date was before 2015. How many coaches in the NHL do you think there are? With well, Tortorella, Tortorella in Columbus. Before I know, I know that. Yeah, no, he was in Columbus uh, uh, before 2015 because Vigneault so took over the Rangers. Vigneault took over the Rangers in 2013, and Tortorella went to Columbus after that. No, Tortorella went some well, I, Vancouver or where the hell was he? Oh yeah, he Somewhere did go to. Oh, you're right. He did go to Vancouver. Oh, I I forgot all about that, Billy. But I I think it was the 2015 season where he did go to Columbus. But it, it, regardless, it's pretty close. And and I. Four or so five, how many I'm guys? Four or five, Steve. Yeah. Well, John, Coop, John Cooper's still in, in, in Tampa, right? What do you say? What do you yeah. say, Tom? Uh, I'm saying, like, shit. Cooper may be the only one. Uh, I'm gonna say one. All right. Billy's right with two. Only go. Only Paul Maurice and John Cooper. Paul Maurice was in 2014. He was signed in January. John Cooper, 2013. And if you look back to if you look at, if you went to 2018. Well, when was Tortorella? Was that 2016 then? Tortorella is, is October 2015 when he started. But my point was going to be that it's only 10 guys that were signed in 2017 and below. So basically within two years, 20 More coaches. Than half, yeah, two-thirds of the league. That's so I think Billy's on point with that that assessment that like this is like this league is just they run through coaches. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, I didn't even think about it that hard, but yeah, looking at the now, it's like, yeah. The number of coaches that changed, half the league changed in the last year, last year and a half, essentially. But uh, yeah, I think I think Trotz is good. Everyone, listen, he's the best coach we've had in years by far. I think since Laviolette, to be honest. Um, and uh, before that, you know, it goes way, it goes all the way back to um, oh my god, I'm Al Arbor. Break. To <laughs> Arbor, thank you. Um, so anyway, realistically, like I don't see Trotz leaving anytime soon, unless. Unless Lou pulls the Lou and goes, you know what? You've been, you were good. You got us to the playoffs. Get out of here. Throw us all the coach in. And that coach is going to win, win the playoffs. Lamarello has top, right? never fired anybody like that. Right, Steve? <laughs> but he yeah, might uh, want to bring in Larry Robinson, though. <laughs> no, there's no Larry Robinson to bring <laughs> in for sure. No. <laughs> no Larry. No, I, w- I would bet they have some sort of gentleman's agreement that uh, he's going to go out on his own terms. I mean, I, I was going to think about it. How, you know better than I do with Lou. How, how many like really well-respected coaches that came in but had like long careers came in that he hired? Is there Pat any? Burns, all kind of Lemare. Burns? Yeah, well, Lemare, you know, yeah, but how long but did Lemare, Pat Burns last though? Well, and I'm uh, what, three seasons. Yeah, but I think he got sick, so th- I think yeah. that kind of right. But was Lamera was his coaching career? Before, oh yeah, yeah. I think he yes, co- he coached up in Montreal before that. I don't in think Montreal. he I don't think he was a head yeah. coach, but he was a very well respected assistant coach. Okay, yeah, but he didn't have like a long head coaching career. My, no. my point was like Trotz has had like Burns. Quick yeah, Burns really was the point. only one that he brought in that uh, yeah. had that extensive career already. So yeah. so you would say that that coaches are more on the hot seat with this return to play in this year than maybe a GM. Yeah, I definitely GM a know, GM is strapped with the salary cap. The salary cap, the short season. I think I think a GM is more safe than a coach. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. If you look at the, the GMs, it's probably gonna the numbers will probably be similar 
to that that what you're saying there. I'm gonna look it up in the meantime. But anyway. And the last thing I have for the return to play stuff that uh, that came out today is that the players uh, have to start quarantining this weekend in order to meet all the target dates that they have put in place. Um, so you're going to start seeing quarantine players in order to start training camps on time. Other than that, that's all the return to play stuff that I know of being legit right now. Did I miss anything from anybody? It, it aren't we still missing some sort of official signed document that uh, we need to get this season going? Yeah. So um, both the NHLPA and the owners have to uh, put it to their board of governors and bring it to a vote. That's supposed to happen sometime this week. Okay. So by this time next week, we, we should have week. an official, official. <laughs> I, 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 I would hope so. Uh, okay. And by that time, I think that all, all players should have, returned uh and i've already started their quarantine period and i and i really think that we're going to have we might even uh, hopefully we'll even have a, a schedule maybe maybe a schedule by then so we can start circling target dates and looking forward to training camp can't wait for that to happen anything i missed on return to play guys yeah nothing i think more just we're waiting to see what's going to happen so um yeah unofficial so do you think that that official signed document is gonna is gonna be the the thing that releases the dam in terms of player movement. I I think it's the I I think it has to be that that last log to get the river flowing again. I do. But I think all the the one year deals for sure, and then all those last kind of guys, and then maybe some big deals for sure. Like Barzal, obviously, been, I've been watching. Um, but you, if you're a player who's a restricted free agent, and you're squabbling over contracts right now. Are you really gonna want to miss training camp for that? that 10 days of training camp that you're going to have to at least get into some sort of game shape. And I think no exhibition games are, are, are a bad idea. And, and a lot of teams are going to come out flat and just, I don't know. It'll be a lot of high sl- scoring gonna, games to start the season. It's going to be sloppy. It's going to be yeah. the first, the first month is going to be sloppy. Yeah. I don't think you'll play, you'll see players holding out as much as just deals are kind of like already probably mostly figured out at this point. There's not a lot of money left for all the teams. So, I mean, realistically, you got to figure with the expanded, you know, um, rosters, maybe you see some more of those small deals. Like the one that Lou just made and thinking about it now is that maybe he, the guy that they picked up is really just for having that extra forward or extra defenseman. Maybe you'll see a couple more of those little deals between teams. Yeah, but it, they were, you know? they were trying to say like the, it's going to work with the expanded rosters and the taxi squads are going to kind of work the same way that the AHL, contracts work if they're they're not part of your 23 man roster and on the expanded roster then they're they're going to count toward your ahl numbers uh and the same thing with the taxi squad players so it's it's really there, there's no real clear-cut answer on on what's going to happen yet there's just rumors about what it's going to be and what what it may look like but it'd be uh, that and and it's obvious that that is the uh that's the thing that they're trying to hammer out the best uh right now and that's what's taking so long on to the last segment, our recurring segment that we have here. Last last week, we did the um, best and worst trades of the 1990s, as well as free agents, best and worst from the 1990s. And, and now we're into the 2000s. And uh, and I, I, Nick, I want you to start because, man, oh, man, I, I was on literally on the edge of my seat all week waiting for this segment. So without further ado, I give you the New York Islanders. Who's the oh, GM man. then? 
<laughs> Old shoulder pads oh, who, himself. Who was it? Well, Milbury, Milbury's really the guy that is going to get claimed the, the worst for it. I, I, I think I have like some of the stuff. I, 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 I think Garth Snow has made some beauties too, right? You know, I think Garth had some of his best things were his deals. Some of the best deals he made were some of the best deals in the in the decade were definitely from mostly from Garth. Um, there's only really two GMs. Neil Smith doesn't really count. He was only there for like I don't know, 50 days, whatever it was. Um, you poor so, guy. You guys, you guys had Neil Smith as your GM. Did I did I block really? that in my brain? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you poor, you poor bastards. He was the transition between Milbury and and Snow. <laughs> he didn't work out when he realized what he had signed up for which was like <laughs> basically the circus that you know we were running at the time i mean in in defense charles wine was trying something new and was like we're gonna do a committee and i'm gonna have i'm gonna call the shots like he was trying to treat it like you know a business of sorts that it didn't really work the same way in 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 the hockey world and, and you know the gm needed to be able to be like i make these decisions that's it you know um neil smith realized that and was like peace <laughs> Well, I, I heard so it then, first. You know, I heard it first. He accidentally hired Neil Smith from the Chiefs instead of the Neil Smith from the Rangers. <laughs> I didn't hear that, but uh, uh, it, it's possible. It may have happened. It may have happened. God in heaven. Yeah, Steve. Check. check I got God damn it, I just made the first two minutes the and thirty-one seconds. <laughs> anyway, so and that's the end of our the, show. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Pitter patter. So I'll, Go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry. I'll start, I'll start with the the worst trade because that's just I think is there's a couple. Um, I think it's it's sort of like a one two punch, right? So, but I think the I think the easy one to like one of the worst ones is the Lexi Yashin trade, um, mostly because we traded away two two players. Well, one specific player in Zidane Chara, who Milbury wasn't a big fan of, which uh, I don't know how he wasn't just. You know, I know he wasn't Char. He wasn't Char yet. He wasn't the guy that became one of the most dominant defensemen. You know, for the stretch of he, him being in the league, you know, being six what and six nine, just you know, absolute monster. You look at his. He's in the Body Magazine, ESPN, and he's like in his late thirties, just Adonis body, and you know, dude, just like a monster, just for the when he was in his prime. Black hole. You can't. How you how do you deal with the the guy that's got that reach, you know. Anyway, him and uh, so the trade goes. It's Alexi Yashin for, and by the way, he was just a sign and trade. It was basically the to pull him in. He hadn't played for a year for Ottawa. He's held out for his contract. So already we're taking a pick of guys. Maybe not, you know, maybe not the best guy to to grab for these reasons. But um, Chara, the number two overall pick, I believe it was, which ended up becoming Jason Spezza, which is the other part of the equation to us is a rough trade for the Isles and Bill McCall, who wasn't really much of a big piece to that puzzle, but you know, all a top defenseman in Zidane Char for years, a franchise player um, and uh, a very good um, center in J- Jason Spezza, who was very good for Ottawa, essentially two pieces of, you can, you can make the argument easily that those two players far more impactful than Alexi was for the Isles in his years, uh, six years on the, on the island that basically he played and then eventually got bought out. Um, oh, by the way, we signed him to a 10-year deal. Uh, at the time, was like the richest deal in, in hockey, and everyone was like, why did you do that? Uh, and, you know, basically the story goes that, that Charles Wang wanted to make a statement, said 10 years, and, you know, Yashin and his, well, Yashin's uh, uh, agent was like, yes? I mean, 
where do we sign? I think, and they were probably going to sign for probably looking for like six years. I think that was really the, the area that they were most of those kinds of players and um, were going for five, six year deals. And whoever is three for the 10 years. So that was one bad trade, one of the worst trades. I think the other one I feel is a little, is just as impactful. I have to mention it, which is the uh, trade for Oleg Kavasha and Mark Parrish. Um, both were serviceable players. Um, and I like, I like both players for different reasons. One, Oleg Kavasha was like just the most enigmatic player I've ever watched play, like could, dominate the ice and then be completely clueless in the same play. Um, unbelievable. Um, the other guy, uh, also he led the team in, in points one year, which was just what, like, how does that happen? <laughs> and then the other, uh, but they, they traded those two guys for those two guys to the floor, uh, from Florida Panthers um, outgoing. We sent, um, you know, this guy named Luongo. I don't know if you guys heard of him. Um, Roberto Luongo was a franchise goalie in the end of the, Pretty much, he's probably gonna be a good chance to be a Hall of Famer. I'm not sure. That's like maybe a conversation from the other oh, day. Um, fourth on the all-time wins list or something. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, think he's, yeah, I think he's a Hall of Famer good, for sure. Right? Yeah. Um, and uh, Olyokinen. Olyokinen was a pretty good player. Uh, multiple times All-Star, I believe. I could be wrong on that, but I believe he was. Uh, very good player. Um, so it's not two guys who, you know, help Florida pretty well, and we took in two guys that. You know, Mark Parrish had a couple of good years in him, but um, ultimately wasn't really like a guy that stayed long. Um, and and Kavasha, just baffling type of player. Amazing talent, just just could not keep it together for more than 30 seconds. Um, what, so those what were, trades what were, were What were some good trades? <laughs> now, before, I have to add to the one piece to this, though. The reason we made that trade for Luongo, or which gave rid of Luongo, was really to draft Ricky Pietro. So <laughs> if we had not... So to make this trade kind of worse, in my opinion, that's the way I feel about it. Had we not done that, had we kept Longo, they would have probably drafted Danny Healy. Which, oh boy. You if you think about it, to me, with him. to me, to me, Jesus, uh, to me, that is makes that deal a little a little worse than the Ashen trade. So, okay, so that's the. The two worst ones to me, I just feel like those go hand in hand. That really set the tone for the Isles in the 2000s and just developing talent and drafting great, you know, some really good players that they just shipped off. Milbury shipped off for, for win now pieces that really didn't work out. There's all the trades you could bring into there. Um, and then the, uh, the the trades that there's like a couple of trades I was looking at. One. So yeah, if, think, if, the, if that yep. didn't, I'm sorry for stopping, but if that didn't happen, no. you would have had. Chara on the back end with Luongo and Net and Spezza and Heatley as your number one center and wing. Yikes. Uh, potentially, right? Because they're different drafts. So yeah, no, you no, I, I, I get you. you. I, mean, I understand that. But so wow. That could have been slightly different. But, but that's wow. the that's the so that's like the big what ifs at the aisles, right? Oh. If they kept those guys and drafted Thank them. Thank God if that was, never happened. It could have been could have been crazy. <laughs> um a lot of what ifs though. So then the other piece to it is uh, the good the good trades. I have two in mind. They're both po- they're both Garth. Garth Snow takes the team over. The first one is got to be to me the start of the rebuild in 2008. So Garth came in. I think was it 2000 end of 2006. I could be wrong. Um, they but they tried to keep the team going in the same direction. Didn't work out. And basically the goal was to rebuild the team. So in 2008 draft they started this 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 rebuild. Garth made uh, the first in the first round with the fifth pick overall, um, and so he made a couple a uh, couple moves to to essentially move back in the draft 
to take um, they moved down, they moved down I believe first I think let me look it up really fast I think it was like the they moved they got a second and a third I believe to move or a second to move down let me let me go back why it's important this the significance of this trade really is more of they took they were able to to move back a few picks um, from the fifth spot they made two trades end up getting to the eighth spot get a few different uh, different you know picks where they use for other reasons or they draft the players but they end up taking Josh Bailey who is still the longest isle, tenured Islander in in the on the roster and took him a long time to get going but he ended up being a pretty good player and one of the better players from the top of that draft and on top of which it just kind of became like the stepping the beginning parts of the whole rebuild and you know drafting a lot of different players over the next few years and ultimately you know the next year we drafted Tavares and it just kind of started the whole process, but in the end, um, yeah, I'll look it up. Well, you know, in a minute, but essentially we got a few picks um, for nothing, essentially for moving down a few spots. And it's, it's more of a significant thing than that one to me. The other real big trade that was like a major, you know, big trade or the best trade I think we've made in the last probably decade is gotta be the Barzal trade. I could be wrong. Wait, am I wrong on the, the dates on that one? Yeah. You're Hope in the, the 2000. Yeah. You're in the, now. you're in the teens Shit here, balls. buddy. I went too far. Damn it. You did. All right. That's, well, that's, that's, next time. that's already for next week. So, so we yeah. have a, a peek behind the curtain of Nick. Nick, any free agents that the Islanders signed? <laughs> you know what? There really wasn't a lot of free agents um, in that time period. Well, there had to be um, one good one. Yeah. I think uh, it was, was O'Coin a trade. I think O'Coin was a trade. Yeah. I actually didn't look at the, uh, the free agents because we had a shit ton of real bad ones. It was a bad was free that? agent pickup. Oh, bad free agents? Yeah. Well, you know what? It's not that so much the bad free agents as much as it is the just nobody wanted to come to the island. I mean, they had to sign some some players just to like you know make deals, but um, like they had like I think I built if I remember correctly, I'm 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 pretty sure this is bef- shit. I don't think so. I think everything's gonna be in, in the past in the uh, past uh, 2010. So it's all gonna be it's all gonna be uh, next week's discussions. So we get some okay. bad ones. No, but the, but the ones that no, you did can't. point out though yeah. in Islander history with the uh, with the worst ones, those were those were certainly bad, and they certainly did set your franchise back a couple of years for sure. No question about it. Yes, because playing 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 against the Islanders with Luongo and Ed and Char on defense and and Spezza and Heatley up front would have been would have been awful. Would have just been awful for 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 many many years. So I'm glad you had a horrible GM to make those wonderful trades for every other team. Oh, of course, of course. Steve, how about the what about the Devils? What did they do in the uh, in the two thousands? Anything good? So the the best trade I had for them in the two thousands was uh, acquiring Alexander McGillney for Brendan Morrison and Dennis Peterson. McGillney only spent about a year and a half with the team, but he was a huge part of that two thousand three Stanley Cup team. Uh, Brendan Morrison would go on to ha- have six seasons with the Canucks where he scored more than 50 points. So we did give up a pretty decent player to get McGillney. But I, I still think McGillney's impact on that 2003 team was immeasurable. His, his chemistry with Gomez was so incredible. It just uh, helped deepen the team even more so. Another person I saw, actually it was the, the Atlantic, had done a list of the 25 best trades. They actually had the Jamin Langenbrunner and Joe and Neuendijk for Jason Arnott and Randy McKay trade higher as a a better trade. But I still think that McGillney's impact on the 2003 Stanley cup team was 
was more than than Lang and Bruner and Neuendijk, even though they were both key parts of that championship team as well. Uh, as for worst trades, uh, this decade of the 2000s is really where the shine on Lou's luster started to, to wear off. Um, never more so than in his trade of Vladimir Malikov and a first round pick, which wound up being number 26 overall out, out West uh, to San Jose for Jim Fahey and something called Alexander Korolyuk, two guys that never wound up playing with the Devils. Basically, this was right around uh, the, the, the time of was, the, the, the was, salary cap coming in. They had to get rid, they had to unload Malikov to get under the salary cap at that time. Uh, so he, he gave him signed, a first rounder? Wow. Right. Yeah. Whoa. So this, the number 26 pick, right? That could have really been an impact player. Well, who was the, who was the buyout? That year, well, then, because when the salary cap came into play, they did have amnesty buyouts. Yeah, I don't remember who it was. Yeah, it, it's funny because Vladimir Malikov is also the worst free agent signing <laughs> of the decade as well. Um, it was actually his second go around with the Devils. Um, he signed in 05 06 and he wound up retiring pretty much halfway through the season. The Devils say he retired. He say he took time off for personal needs. Lou is like, no, you're not here. You're retired. It was a very big hubbub. But again, this is Lou just acquiring a person the second time around, or as I like to call them, these retreads. He does this. He did this all the time throughout that decade, and, it, and not one of them worked out. One of the, them is on my list, actually. The the best free agent signing of the decade was actually Dinas Zubris. Uh, in 2007-8, he signed a six-year deal for $20.4 million. So it's like 3.4 a season. Um, not tremendous, but he, you know, he was a very good player. He was a, about a half a point a, pl- a game player. And uh, he was a big part of the 2011, 12 team that, that made that run to the Stanley cup finals. So that's why I got him as the best, uh, the best free agent signing. Uh, the second worst free agent signing of the two thousands, the worst player in devil's history to wear number 27, Mike motto. I just have to put that out there. Worst. I mean, it's the best number 27 yeah. in Devil's history. Terrible. There was a couple other good trades. I mean, he 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 traded up. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he traded up from 22nd pick in the first round of the draft to 17th to get Zach Parisi. He traded up from 22nd to 20 to get Travis Zajac. But it all cost them capital in the form of second rounders. So, yes, you're getting great players in the first round, but you're starting to weaken – the minor, you know, the, the development of players as well. And I think that's why we went into that low in the second half of the 2000s and then all of the 2010s minus that one season. Well, yeah, the 20, 2012 was pretty good. In fact, the NHL network is actually playing that Stanley Cup final game as we speak. Uh, for, for the Rangers, it was a, uh, a really rough start to the 2000s. A better ending. But a really rough start to the beginning of the of the decade in the 2000s. Um, but my worst trade that I saw in the 2000s came on March 3rd, 2004. Actually, this man's birthday, Brian Leach was traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs in a conditional third round draft pick in 04 for Yarko Imanen, Maxim Kondrachev uh, in 04 first, uh, with, which was Chris Chucko. Never heard of him. And in uh, 05 second, uh, which was Michael Sauer, who was a really, really solid defenseman um, who uh, who got injured 
late in that decade and had to retire early. Um, that was that was a dark day for the Rangers. I won't forget that. I was on vacation when that happened, and I had to call you to console you because I knew you were heartbroken. <laughs> it, well, it, Glenn Sather never, ever even called Leach to tell him he was traded him, and he just traded him away. He was, uh, I think, a couple of games shy of breaking Harry Howell's record for most games played as a, as a Ranger. But the take for Leach was, was good. Who knew that Chris Chucko was not going to turn into anything? And Maxim Kudrachev and, and Yarmo Iminen really didn't turn into anything for the Rangers either. And, you know, the return for these players, as Steve always mentions, is never as good as the quality of player that you're, you're letting go. And at the time, in, at, the, at that time, they were rebuilding. So there was writing on the wall that that was going to happen this year. But Brian Leach being my guy, that was a, uh, a real dark day for, for me and for the organization. To bookend that, the best trade of the of the decade for the Rangers came on at the absolute tail end of the decade, June 30th, 2009. The the Montreal Canadiens get Tom Pyatt, Michael Busto, and Scott Gomez for Pavel Valatenko, uh, Doug Janik, Christopher Higgins, and Ryan McDonough. Uh, Gomez was signed to a very lucrative deal uh, coming from the Devils, and that was a contract that we did not have to retain. And we got a uh, we got a future captain of the New York Rangers in return in, in Ryan McDonough. Uh, so that was those were two really memorable trades of the 2000 decade for the Rangers. As far as free agents, I'll start out with the best was Brendan Shanahan in, in 2005, a one year four million dollar deal coming over, really solidifying that second line. He and Yager that year both scored their their 600th goals uh, about a week apart. It was really great history. Uh, they went on to the playoffs, won a playoff round against the Atlanta Thrashers that year, lost in the second round in a really, really good see, uh, series with the Buffalo Sabres, which would then the next year see Chris Drury come over, which didn't make the worst free agent signing. Neither did Scott Gomez. If you can believe it, there was a worse one in the, in the early 2000s. And it came in 2002 when the Rangers signed uh, this player to a five-year $45 million deal. And his name was Bobby Holik. Bobby Holik was a third line center and it would be a, a second line center at best. And he was brought to the Rangers to be a number one center. And it just never worked out for him. And Bobby Holik was eventually bought out by the Rangers and uh, went to Atlanta, became their captain. And the rest is, as they say, is history. But Brendan Shanahan was one of those guys who eventually went back to New Jersey to finish his career later on. And didn't Bobby Holik do that as well? Didn't Bobby Holik finish his career with the Devils? After yeah. Atlanta, yeah. So, uh, okay. so a lot of those retreads, McKay man. McKay came back. Arnett yeah. came back. Holy came back. Yeah. Langenbrunner too, or or did he? No, ever... no, he just retired a devil. Yeah. No, he retired somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, somewhere else. I thought he. I thought he came back to the Devils. No. Um, Claude Lemieux. He... Didn't Claude Lemieux make a second appearance? With he the he, he was back for that uh, the uh, the two thousand Stanley Cup team. So, Billy, how about those? How about the Penguins in the uh, in the decade of the two thousands? Yeah, uh, how, so, how did they shit the bed? <laughs> how did they shit the bed? Well, well, I get. Well, let's let's go in order. So we'll start with shit in the bed, right? So the worst the worst trade, um, I, I think, is abundantly obvious. So uh, they 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 had a player, a uh, uh, youngster by the name of Yarmir Yager, and uh, in, in the early, well, I forget exactly when, but yeah, early two thousands they. They did trade him away uh, due to, you know, financial issues and, and really not, I believe, thinking that they were going to be able to 
keep him very long, sign him to the new contract. I mean, the, the team was going toward bankruptcy, et cetera, and so forth. So, so they did make a trade in Yager, and, and it was a tough circumstance, uh, but really uh, they, they could have done somewhat better um, than the, the return they got from Washington, uh, which was Chris Beach, Michael Civic, and Ross Lapushek. Wow, what did these guys – what do these guys amount to? They traded, they traded a Hall of Famer in his prime <laughs> for for that return, and uh, and and that probably you know realistically set the stage for how the the organization crashed and burned to the extent that it did, and it probably in some small way helped get them into the draft positions where they ended up, you know, getting a uh, um, Flurry and Malkin and and Crosby, but. It, it, it's a stretch to try to spin that in, in, in any positive way. Trading Yager and getting those three back was, was a disaster. So um, no, when you traded Kovalev back to the Rangers though, you, that that's how you actually got the draft pick for Mark Andre Fleury was, was somewhere in there. I remember doing the trade tree, um, yeah. but it, you're right. It is trades like that, that help you rebuild. But I mean, who are those guys that they traded, that they traded Yager for <laughs> my goodness, my goodness. It was the it was the deadly shrapnel of that deal that that lowered the organization a little more, and probably you know uh, some some lottery help from the NHL, which fixes those lotteries. So I don't know what you're yeah, talking about. Like they did last year for the Rangers. I don't know what you're talking about. Like they did for the Devils a couple times. I mean, you know, it's all it's all no no no, no no no. No, they fixed it for the Devils so that the Devils could get the number one pick in the years where maybe there was not as good a player like He Shear and Hughes, great players. Definitely not a Crosby. Definitely not a uh, Austin Matthews. Wow, conspiracy against the Devils, huh? Yeah, that's that's why some of those guys are called generational players, though. I mean, that's just how many generational players can you have? There's you can have one generational player. Oh, you got me there. So whatever you call them, there's, there's not one of those available in the draft every single year. Go, go on um, your fucking list. So the uh, <laughs> going into the 2005, we had a. Uh, both the best and the worst free agent signing um, of the decade, both in that offseason. So uh, the worst was uh, Ziggy Palfy, um, former Islander that they signed before the 2005-2006 season. Um, was doing pretty well with them until uh, early in January when he uh, walked into the GM's office and said goodbye. Um, the, his career was over. He was 33 years old. Uh, he wasn't going to keep uh, playing for the duration of that season or the duration of the deal that he signed, he was just done. Uh, so that was a, a bit of a setback. Um, and then the best free agent signing was also in that same off season, uh, defenseman Sergey Gonchar, um, who played about Oof. six seasons there in Pittsburgh. Um, and scored a billion goals against the Rangers on the power play. Oh yeah. Well, that, that went back to his days in Washington too, but. Oh my God. I hated that he, guy. He was more, and he was more, you know, I mean, when he was with the Penguins, uh, I, I might not have paid as much attention to him earlier in his career, but when he was with the Penguins, he, he really seemed to, to round out his game. I mean, he did everything. I mean, he was more than just that, that heavy shot from the point, that, that power play guy. He, he was just a great all-around defenseman. Um, and you have and, a power play at one time of Lemieux, Yager, Straka with Gonchar and Kovalev. Wasn't that your, one of your power play units that, at what, one time? I don't know. That sounds earlier than, than 2005. Was it not Gonchar? And then there was somebody else back there, but it was, I, I just remember Gonchar just firing pucks and just annihilating any yeah. Rangers goaltender. It, it worked out well. It worked out well for Pittsburgh. And he was still with the team in, in that 2009 
Stanley Cup run, uh, well, in 2008 as well. So 2008 when they lost to Detroit, 2009 um, when they beat Detroit uh, in the finals. Um, and even after his career ended several years later, they brought him back as a coach and, and he was a defenseman coach for him uh, for, the, for the 2016 and 2017 Stanley Cup uh, teams as well. Um, so, you know, building that relationship with him, um, I mean, it, it, that was just enormous for the Penguins. Um, and then the best trade for the Penguins in that decade was uh, uh, trading. They traded to Atlanta, Colby Armstrong, Eric Christensen, and a first-round pick uh, and got in return uh, Marion Hosa and uh, Pasquale Dupuis. So uh, Hosa was the, the, the center point, uh, obviously, for that season and, uh, and was a huge was a huge help getting them to the finals against Detroit. They lost to Detroit that season. And, um, and then he went and signed with Detroit in that off season when he became a free agent, uh, turned his back on the uh, Penguins. But even with his departure, the, the other piece of that trade, Pascal Dupuis was enormous for the Penguins um, in their Stanley cup season and several seasons beyond uh, playing with Crosby. He Dupuis was, was kind of poorly thought of, um, Due to having bounced around in his career, uh, he was they weren't real happy with him in Atlanta, and, and uh, he was kind of looked at as a player who who never really kind of fulfilled his promise. He was just a fast player, but didn't have much more to his game. But um, for whatever reason, he got to Pittsburgh and and was a tremendous forward for them. Uh, his speed, his ability to retrieve pucks and and gain possession um, on on a on a dump on a dump in uh, into the offensive zone. Um, I mean he really uh, made a lot of magic with with Crosby for for several years uh, so that that was their good one that was their best one of that decade and that's all was he the first one of the players who would you know flourish playing along Crosby right he's had he's had a history of making players a lot better than they really were he was he like the, he had to be like the first one he was one of the early ones uh, I I I'm trying to think of who might've even played with him before that, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a good example of a guy that, that came in and, and certainly was um, certainly had uh, much, much more Impact. production yeah. next to Crosby than he had seen in his career before that, for sure. And then he, you know, guys like Kunitz and, and yeah, a, a bunch of guys came in and, and, uh, and hopefully Kapanen will too, you know, uh, up his production uh, alongside Crosby uh, in this coming season, but. Yeah, that, that, he's probably the first best example of that, yeah. Still having nightmares of Sergey Gonchar, I'm sorry. <clears throat> but with all that that star power, they didn't win a lot of cups with Gonchar on the point. So, or did they? No, it's they didn't win easy, a cup with him. Just, just the one, yeah. I always thought Gonchar was a lot earlier with the Penguins than, than 2005. Gonchar, well, if you're just thinking about your nightmares, I mean, I had those same nightmares of Gonchar when he was with the Capitals against the Was it just he was on the Caps? Was that it? My he God. Was, he was killing him with the Capitals, too. Trust me. Oh, it was it, it was just him and then Bondra on the other side just bombing one-timers. <laughs> oh, poor little Mike Richter. That's going to do it for this week. Hopefully, we get a, uh, a vote by the Board of Governors by the end of the week and get official things to talk about next week, which we should. This is the week, as they say. It seems like they've been saying that every week, that this is the week that uh, is finally going to happen. So let's uh, let's all cross our fingers, toes, everything. We'll be back next week to discuss more. Steve, what's our social? At friends underscore rivals. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, also uh, <laughs> on our YouTube on our YouTube channel, friends and rivals. Don't forget that you can catch our podcast there 
And wherever you get your podcast from, that's where you can find our latest episode of the Friends and Violas podcast. Billy, play us out.